This podcast may contain disturbing content for some listeners. It's intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This is involved with like several cases that have been ongoing that I had looked at. It comes from North Carolina. Now, part of the case was in uh, Lumberton, but overall it was this Robeson County thing that was going on. I, so the, I think they made an error. The press release I got initially was like two sentences long and it had a picture of a bunch of sheriff's deputies with shovels. And I sent it to you and I was like, are they digging under a back porch? Because I, you know, I've been, there's a couple of cases down in that area that I've been interested in. And uh, there's one that was like a kid. There's this whole rumor about a serial killer down there. Like there was a serial killer that was caught in that area. And there's all these um, sort of missing young women who seem to be affiliated with possible drug use that have gone missing. But this one, uh, they've now confirmed that this uh, case's missing portion is over and they've recovered his body. Uh, This press release related to a search uh, for human remains. They did find human remains. um, And this was the body of Billy Jean Hammett. He was interesting to me because he's falling into this category that I've gotten more and more interested in of like larger people or taller people that go missing. Um, And he's also uh, an indigenous person, a Native American. So what's, what's crazy about his case is I've actually been following it for, I think, about five years now. Had you heard of his case before? I'm sure I have in passing. So he has this, he has a, you know, a Charlie project profile out there and it's just sort of um, brief. It's, it's really based on uh, this missing indigenous profile and the Q center for missing persons. And um, I think maybe just from NamUs, but he went missing in November of 2016. And so pretty much everybody around like around that time is in contact with your family unless you're just specifically not um that's you know thanksgiving time he's was six foot two and he was thought to weigh between 160 180 pounds he was 36 years old uh, when he went missing he would be 41 turning 42 this year he also had an october birthday which is sort of another reason to be in contact with with family and stuff for for some people. Uh, And here's what Charlie Project had to say about him. Uh, Hammond was last seen in Lumberton, North Carolina at 10.30 p.m. on November 26, 2016. 
he went to visit his mother on Pinwheel Circle, and this is in it's all in Lumberton that I'm talking about. He said he'd be, he'd be back in about 30 minutes, but he never returned, and he's never been heard from again. So on December the 9th of 2016, his family reported him missing. That was a little odd to me because uh, that's a couple weeks. But I was going to say, how long was it? Uh, so November 13 26, days. right, through December the 9th. They reported yeah, 13 days. Okay. What was, what was so interesting about the Charlie Project profile is this. A few days prior to his disappearance, uh, Hammonds was present at a police shooting. He was in the parking lot of the Dollar General store on Martin Luther King Jr. Drive. And while he was being handcuffed by a Lumberton police officer named Daniel Maurice Smith, a woman named Rebecca Muse Hunt tried to drive away in spite of Smith telling uh, Smith's uh, repeated orders for Rebecca to stop. So Smith gets hit by the car door and he shoots Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca Muse. Now she's injured, but she survives, and the shooting ends up being ruled justified. Justified. So it's a justified shooting of Rebecca Muse Hunt that Billy Jean Hammonds is at, and this is like days before he just sort of goes poof. The rumor was that Rebecca and Billy Jean Hammonds were involved in something that went wrong with drugs. And it goes even more specifically, his his dad theorized that he stole the drugs from someone, that he was stealing drugs from someone, and he got murdered as a result. Now, a couple different times, they have gone and dug for this guy, and ultimately where they find him is in the same vicinity of where they were digging. So, like I said, they sent out this bizarre thing where doing an investigation in this area. It didn't talk about Billie Jean, but they're now confirming that it is Billie Jean. So Um, I didn't see the press release. You just sent me a random picture. Um, That was the press release. That's what I'm saying. That picture of the porch with a sentence investigation in this area. Well, it looked like there was maybe like a, like a concrete patio they had dug up. Is is that the vibe you got? That's it. It had some like, uh, barriers up, like, so you couldn't really see the ground. Right. Right. It it looked like dirt and concrete. Like they had broken through. I didn't know if it was a patio. I actually thought it was something maybe to, uh, allow you to put like legs of a deck down instead of putting down, you know, blocks or putting concrete well, I, on the ground. It was like a. I tell you what, since I've started looking into uh, missing persons cases, if somebody puts um, a patio down, <laughs> I make a mental note of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> they like, are seriously. excellent places to hide bodies. Yeah. So. This was the, the the patio was in Red Springs, which is nearby. Um, Do you know if it was on Snake Road? No, it was on Lewis McNeil Road. Okay. Uh, Snake Road was part of the original uh, theory was that he was buried somewhere on Snake Road. Uh, I think that uh, somebody at some point. Uh, 
they thought he had been killed there at least something i think that maybe there was like a um uh a neighborhood like a trailer park maybe yes this uh, so where that comes from is pamela hammonds and this is what blew my mind about this case so this guy's married this guy was married when he went missing um and in the robisonian which is the local paper down there on September 6, 2017, they this so that's a not quite a year, but almost a year after he went missing in November 2016. They ran, you know, a little update article. And here's what some of that says. It says, Man's disappearance a mystery. Pamela Hammonds wants to know what happened to her husband. Her father-in-law, however, has his own theory. Billy Jean Hammonds was murdered, a consequence of a drug-fed life. In an effort to cast a light on his disappearance, Pamela joined family and friends who gathered last Saturday outside Aylington Grocery on North Carolina 211 East in Lumberton to release balloons in remembrance of her husband who had been missing for nine months. Uh, her husband grew up in this community. Hammond said she's frustrated that law enforcement doesn't acknowledge him as missing, although the Robeson County Sheriff's Office says there have been searches and the case is active. She has helped to spread the word through Facebook. My mission is to have him be known as a missing person, she said. Uh, she's been driving back and forth from her home in Florida to Lumberton every few weeks to distribute flyers about Billie Jean's disappearance. The last time anyone saw Billie Jean was about 10.30 p.m. on November the 26, 2016, when he went to visit his mother on Pinwheel Circle in Lumberton. He said he'd be back in 30 minutes. Billy Carol Hammonds, who is Billie Jean's sister, didn't report him missing until December 9th, 2016, which was 13 days after his last seen. I've been looking for him since December the 13th, Pamela said. A search for Billie Jean was conducted on December 13th, 2016, which was on Snake Road in Lumberton. Multiple searches in different areas have been conducted for this missing person by the Sheriff's Department, says Sheriff's Major Anthony Thompson. Thompson would not comment further because the case is active. But at the Snake Road search, there was a bloody shoe that was found. It could not be linked to Billie Jean. The mystery continues because of Billie Jean's connection to the case of Rebecca Muse Hunt, who on November 22, 2016, was shot by Lumberton police officer Daniel Marie Smith in the parking lot of the Dollar General store, which we already talked about. According to witnesses, Muse tried to drive away as Smith was handcuffing Billie Jean. And Smith moved Hammonds out of the way as the truck, driven by Muse, started backing out of the parking lot. So Muse was ordered multiple times to stop, but did not. And Smith was struck by the door. Uh, so he fired two shots and they both struck her. He ends up being cleared by the Robeson County District Attorney, Johnson Britt. Britt said in his report that attempts to interview Billie Jean were unsuccessful because he could not be found. And Pamela says Billie Jean had a drug problem. He was in trouble all his life. Did you want to jump in here? Because I got a little more article, but not much more. Well, I was just going to say, I think that it's like an unfortunate coincidence that uh, that happened. I don't really, I don't think it's really related to anything. Well, I mean, I have a theory on part of it. So Pamela said that there'd been a rumor that Billie Jean was shot and killed. She says, it's a small town and stories grow. Billy Hammonds also had a theory that I knew a drug dealer killed him because he stole drugs from him. This is all about drugs. Hammonds even provides some details. I think he was killed on Snake Road in a trailer, and they didn't check the, they did not check the trailers 
before they tore them down. The trailers were torn down November 26, 2016. Leslie Brewer, who was the permit clerk for the Robeson County Department of Building Safety and Code Enforcement, said they had not issued any permits for demolition that they knew of on Snake Road. Part of Snake Road is in Lumberton city limits, but the city government revealed no records of authorized demolitions. And part of Snake Road is not in the city limits, so it would be a county matter. And then Pamela says that she just wants justice and closure. And again, it describes Billie Jean, 36 years old, six feet, two inches tall, 175 pounds, brown hair, brown eyes, and multiple tattoos. And it requests anyone who you know knows anything to please call uh, the Robeson County Sheriff's Department. So I, I think whatever he did, whatever happened with the police, I think he owed somebody money for that. And it, they were just sick of him. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you think that they confiscated something? Do, do you have any idea if the arrest went through or that, like, they just gave up because there's now been a shooting? Or he, I mean, that would be digging pretty far into that, I guess. Well, I started digging into it, but this is all unfolded in, like, the last two days. The other interesting part of this, oh, I think you just found it, didn't you? Okay. Uh, this woman that was with him in 2016, Rebecca Mutant, she had been a missing person back in February of 2013. Right. And her missing person's flyer is just right out there on the internet. Uh, now we know she's been found because she's been shot by a police officer and like three years later. So Yeah, she, she returned home on Thursday, March the 7th. And, like, so the missing persons flyer got circulated basically the end of February. And then uh, two weeks later, she returned home. These people are doing this to their families. And that's what was so interesting to me. Because the basic, and I'm, you know. Can you his, clarify what you mean by that? So when these people are out and about, both of them, Billie Jean Hammonds and Rebecca Muse Hunt, were both married. They have families, they have mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters who are in their lives, who know enough about them to know they're involved in drugs. When they get themselves into these situations where Rebecca Muse Hunt goes missing, where Billie Jean Hammonds goes missing, it must be absolutely terrifying to be one of those family members where all you can think is, my loved one has finally done something to get themselves uh, disappeared. And I, I say that because, you know, they're both reported missing, even though his case was not I don't think the sheriff thought his case was a missing person's case. I think his case to the sheriff was a homicide investigation. They just did not have the body yet. I even think that someone had told them. And well, clearly, it sounds like his dad was telling them. Um, well, I mean, like, I think someone involved had told them. Look, See, I feel like, um, I feel like he was just as much a missing person as anybody else is um, in that area. And I don't see where there was any sort of, um, like, difference. I, I don't see that he was treated any differently than any other like 30 something year old adult 
going missing would have been treated. And here's the thing. They found him. That's That was going to be my point was he is definitely not a missing person anymore. He's a rare case. Here's my point, though. How did they know to dig there? That's a somebody really told ab- them. That's what I mean. Like somebody involved in this crime but gave someone else involved in this crime up. You see what right. I mean? Right, and I just I don't feel like that that is a mistreated missing persons case. I feel like they found him, and so I mean, yeah, you don't you know call in the any sort of special team to start hunting down a 30 something year old man. Right. No, Yeah. But if you, so if you go looking though, if you go researching Billie Jean Hammond, a lot of people were saying that the sheriff's department wasn't doing their job. Like his wife and several of the people that are involved in like giving quotes to different articles say that they're sort of playing this card where he was an indigenous person who went missing in this area and no one was looking for him. But right. what and I'm so, saying is, I don't think they, I don't think they ever thought, I don't think the sheriff went, we're looking for a missing person. I think the sheriff early on had information that Billy was no longer with us. He just did not know where. Otherwise, they would not have been conducting those searches in 2017 and 2018 looking for a body. Now, his body was just recovered, right? That is correct. The previous searches were unsuccessful. So we're talking about um, April of 2022? Uh, Actually, May of 2022. Wow. End of April, first part of May 2022, yeah. Okay. Okay. And so I just want to sort of point this out. I have a big problem with um, any sort of just, uh, disparaging treatment of people for any reason, right? Whether it's your gender or your race or your occupation or whatever. Okay. So, and I also have, I want every single missing person on earth to be reunited with their identity, you know, whether they're alive or dead. And I want all the unidentified bodies to get their names back. Now, having said all that, I hope everyone realizes, and this case is just somewhere for me to sort of insert my two cents, you know, when you make choices in life, any choices, good, bad, or indifferent, you end up in places. And I feel like if you're expecting law enforcement or anybody else to come save you, like after you've gone missing if it has to do with some of the choices you made or didn't make, right? I think you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's very complicated for. I'm just saying like, they were saying that the sheriffs weren't doing anything. I don't know. What did they want the sheriffs to do? I, you know, in those articles that I read about this, um, it is, pretty recent to the person going missing. So there's shockingly this, this little local paper and another paper nearby covered this case like four times. So I think that's like, I mean, all the news there is. Yeah. That's more than usual, but the, 
what That's made a that small case, area, right? Yeah, it's a it's a really small area. It's uh, you know, it's eastern North Carolina. There's not much to it. The all of this is taking place sort of south of of Raleigh, North Carolina. If you look at it on a map, it's the Lumberton area. Um, right. You sort of have to you know circle around Robeson County down there. Uh, the it, and it gets kind of murky when you go like trying to look at it. Uh, geographically you can't always tell like you can literally be at one side of something like snake road and you're in lumberton and then on the other side of snake road you're in red springs so you know there's a lot of these little small towns down there and i think jurisdictionally it gets complicated but i think the truth is it's very difficult to put resources towards like sort of just searching for this 36 year old guy who like, you know, like Rebecca Muse hunt, he has dipped in and out of places. And honestly, like even in the article where the woman is asking help for help finding her husband, she admits she was living in Florida. So that's what I'm saying. I just don't feel like it's the best thing. Well, and I want every missing person to be found, but I don't know. I just don't quite understand like what she was wanting. Well, (laughs) I, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, I don't feel like it's fair to disparage anyone in a case like this because these cases are weirdly complex. And I do see how somebody could look at that and go, he was just involved in this officer involved shooting and the police have done something to him. If you're like sort of conspiracy minded or like that's just your experience in the area. Well, and possibly, but I, I feel like regardless of whether or not, um, you know, he was a drug user or what have you, I feel like the response to, you know, the, what was he? 37 to, to 36 year old man going missing is going to be about the same. Yeah, I mean, I would tend to, I would tend to agree with you. Because I mean, literally, they are the most invulnerable humans. <laughs> I mean, they're not little kids, right? Uh, they're more than likely not going to be victimized in a way like attacked or whatever. I mean, obviously, this guy was murdered, but it's a whole different situation, right? Yeah, I so to to clarify this without us getting into a situation where it sounds like it's victim blaming or anything like that. I'm not blaming this, him at all. <laughs> it I think that I think that what we're what we're getting at is there are sort of scales of vulnerability and then there's scales of risk. And law enforcement has to look at those. The most vulnerable people are obviously the smallest children. And then you have all sorts of people that fall into the vulnerabilities right above that where people with intellectual disabilities and younger people and, and then it sort of just keeps going down the scale. And I have to agree with you that somewhere on the far side of the scale of the less vulnerable people are, you know, men in their thirties and forties. If they don't have any of those capabilities. He was huge and he looked like he was then like, I mean, at least fair shape. Right. So, you know, obviously I I imagine he was shot with a gun, right? (laughs) Um, I don't know if they haven't said that yet, but I'm picturing something like that. You don't, I mean, I don't imagine somebody like strangled him, right? Because he would be able to not be strangled, right? I would say that's less likely, yeah. Okay. 
Um, I'm just saying, like, physically speaking, a big guy like that's going to be taken out with a gun because of just the way life works, Um, (laughs) the way death works, I guess, actually. Um, And so, you know, while it stinks that he is dead, I I don't see a problem with what happened here um, with law enforcement. And I don't say that very often. I feel like they were doing what they could, and they ended up finding him. Now, is it, you know, what, uh, six years later? <laughs> yes, it's six years later, right? But they found him. Yeah, this family got closure out of it. Where I was headed with that risk versus vulnerability thing is this. I think when you're close to someone who has something psychological going on that you know about but, like, isn't known, or someone who is you're close to, I think you can perceive them as vulnerable if they're using drugs, whereas law enforcement doesn't necessarily see that as a vulnerability uh in most situations, there are situations where that becomes a vulnerability. Well, let me ask. I think they see it as a risk. Let me ask you this. Uh, would his wife have um, called the police and said, I think you guys need to do something because my husband has uh, done something that might get him killed by a drug dealer? You mean like right after the Dollar General incident? Well, um, Basically, whatever the premise was that they weren't at, like why they were not acting, because he did drugs or sold drugs or whatever, right? That's right. You get this vibe that they're saying, like, you're not doing enough because you're demeaning him or whatever, right? It's right. not important enough to you. So, you know, if would you call it? I mean, I don't think that any spouse would do that, right? And so when it goes, you know, ass backwards, (laughs) when everything blows up in your face, I mean, you didn't call them like beforehand, right? The police, I mean, you didn't call the police and say, my husband is in, you know, deep trouble. I need you to help him. Right. Right. Well, then he disappears and you want them to help. Right. (laughs) I'm just saying like, I don't see the balance there. It may not make sense to anybody but me, but I'm just saying, like, if you're not willing to, you know, at least try and neutralize the situation before it happens, you can't expect law enforcement to pick up, you know, the steaming pile of poo. Well, so I had one of the reasons this question comes up for me is I had questions about the different delays. You know, he goes missing on the night of the 26th. Uh, he's reported missing on the 9th. His wife begins searching for him on the 13th. And most of that for me screamed that. This was not unusual. Well, that, so yeah, that was part of it. I was like, they know something. But but what I read from that, having read entirely too many really boring facts and factual summaries related to criminal cases was, I read that like he had gone to ground and that they knew it because of the incident with the police and whatever he and that Rebecca he had done what? that I, I think that they thought he was laying low. Oh, I see. Like he had, and I figured what he told his mom, cause it seems like the family knows. 
that there's addiction issues. And that's what I'm going to call him for this. He has addiction issues. Because when he said he was going to, he says, you know, I'm going to be gone for 30 minutes. I don't know what they might have been thinking, but my interpretation is they think he's going to fix it. Like they think he is headed out to deal with whatever has happened as sort of the fallout. Because the thing is, when people owe you money, it's one thing. So he may or may not have owed somebody some money. If you've stolen drugs from them, it's another thing. So that's how like his dad sort of presented it. But let me pose another theory for you. Maybe he did owe somebody money. Maybe he did steal the drugs. Or maybe they just thought because this officer involved shooting was front page news four days earlier that he was going to snitch. Oh, yeah, because... um... Because I can tell you one thing Billie Jean Hammond did not want to do. That was go back to prison. So I went through his criminal record, and normally I wouldn't do this, but it is a there's a pattern to all of this. In July of 1999, based on incidents in February and March of 1999, he pleads out um, to assault with a deadly weapon and communicating threats. And then, so that's 1999. He gets probation and a little bit of county jail time. We switch over to... Uh, 2001, he gets caught again for assault and wanton injury um, and an attempted larceny. And this stems from an incident in August of 2001. In January of 2004, he gets a resisting arrest charge and an unauthorized use of motor vehicle. That's that's from a January and a February incident. It settles out in March as a part of a plea agreement. Those were felonies when they started. In June of 2004, he gets a felony larceny of a motor vehicle, and that's when his real problems start. He has a bunch of concurrent sentences in there, which means he had a bunch of charges, and they all sort of get um, consolidated down for judgments, but then some of them are running consecutively, and a consecutive sentence runs afterwards. But a concurrent sentence happens at the same time as another sentence. So then he starts getting real jail time, big boy jail time. Uh, in August of 2006, he picks up a felony common law robbery and another assault with a deadly weapon. And then he picks up the same charge from another incident of August of 2006. And he starts getting years in prison. October of 2007, he gets out, he completes probation, and then he becomes uh, a person who's been picked up on possession of Schedule II drugs and he starts getting possession of firearms by felon charges. So those sentences get more serious, and they uh, they keep him straight for a couple of years, and then he starts getting felony B&Es in May of 2010. So May of 2010, he gets three counts of felony breaking and entering for various incidents. They run them all concurrently, but he ends up getting multiple years and he gets out on probation and his probation gets revoked. So then he gets uh, another larceny after breaking and entering in 2010. He, and this is like a, it comes much later conviction wise. So that means it was another incident that was tied to everything he was doing. And then in 2011, he gets multiple felonies laid on him, but suddenly he doesn't do jail time anymore. And he pleads out to a bunch of misdemeanors. 
So in my experience, what that is, and um, he does end up like coming in and out of jail on those misdemeanors because when you're on probation and you violate your probation, you have some trouble. Most of his appear to be hot drug tests, meaning he popped positive for a controlled substance. Well, as of March 2012, he never gets arrested again. So for four years, he does not get arrested. And this is all in the well, same town and county. Right. And he's, well, you got to think also, I think it started in 99. I think yeah. that was when he started. And so he was about 19 or so. Yeah. Okay. And so now you're, so you went from, you know, 19 on up through his 20s. And so in, um, by 2013, he's, you know, 33 or whatever. Um, so, you know, that you're a different person. Well. Not you, but like people no, no, change mean. drastically from being in, a, you know, a 19-year-old to being like 35. I mean, it's a big change. Yeah. Well, I believe that he began snitching. Oh, like he was an informant. Yeah. So I think clearly his family knows about the drug use. So maybe he stopped stealing. Or maybe he held a job to feed his issues. um, So, you know, we say that. Now, we say he wasn't arrested, but we kind of open the story up with the fact that he's being put in handcuffs, right? Um, Because... Uh, he was in the parking lot with a friend who had been missing, you know, three years earlier, <laughs> who wasn't really missing. But, um, and so they, uh, what happened was that they had driven to a grocery store. And while they were in the grocery store, um, the two of them decided that they were going to steal some alcoholic beverages. And so they stole the alcoholic beverages and they left uh, the grocery store and they drove over to the Dollar General store. And uh, the grocery store employees had notified the police. And, of course, they immediately spot them. And, you know, that's where it all starts. Billy Jean was in the driver's seat and he was in the process of trying to get him arrested. So she was about to be arrested too, right before she decided to drive away yeah. and he shot her. But um she was actually severely injured in that um incident. Yeah. And she had been she had to be hospitalized for six months and her medical bill bills exceeded two point three million dollars. I don't even know what to say to that. It, that's a difficult situation because that's a real medical thing going on. They but all had is... immunity from all that. So um, I don't know. Like you they weren't like... held accountable. He, like the Who wasn't held accountable? The police. They didn't do anything. They shot her because she tried to run him over. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. I understand. They, I'm would, just be saying... a, they would be immune from like being responsible. I mean – she might as well have had a gun and been shooting him because she could absolutely kill him by backing over him. Well, I just find it fascinating. Like, okay, so if we ignore everything else that's gone on here and the lost property and the money that's spent on the drugs and everything, and we like look at this situation and just take that $2.3 million in medical bills, which I know they're medical bills, which are always dubious in nature. 
that's the penalty that like can be paid for the higher risk lifestyles. And I don't think they were vulnerable people because they were using drugs and stealing the drinks and got caught in the Dollar General parking lot. I think that they were risking more. They had a higher risk going on. They may as well have been involved in, you know, uh, some kind of trafficking or some kind like whether it's, you know, drug trafficking or human trafficking or something like that. They're operating on a pretty high level of risk that they maybe didn't consider it that way. But right. What, and I, that I was just saying that that should be considered. Oh yeah. It absolutely like should be. I mean, considered. the difference in this situation, I don't know if I said it to begin with, but I believe they both, um, that it's been said they they were smoking crack. And yeah. drinking alcohol. Yeah. And so I, I wasn't trying process, to imply that you didn't know. I'm saying the family didn't understand the, it that way. So, well, but I'm saying in a general type way that if you're smoking crack and drinking alcohol, that's a choice that you've made. Right. It might impair your judgment when a police officer starts arresting your buddy and you realize you're going down too. Okay. But that's not. Like that is your responsibility, not anybody else's. I think the approach is like, I wouldn't know the risk that a family member was taking if I didn't understand cases like this. Like it wouldn't cross my mind. Like I would just sort of, I don't know how to explain it, but I look at people and I think that that some people sort of make up their mind that this is their life and this is the way they're going now. But I also think that some people do struggle with addiction as a disease and whatever way they end up there, ever what leads them to those risky choices, I'm not judging them for it, but I will say this at the end of the day, the Robeson County Sheriff's department recovered his body six years later, five and a half years later. So I don't think law enforcement was not trying to close this case. Right. I don't think they were, um, I don't think there was any mistreatment from like a victimology point of view here. I feel like they did what they would have done for any uh, 36 year old man that went missing. Yeah. Well, I'm going to pivot away from this one because we had a lot going on earlier this year where, uh, we were trying to cover another case. So we were trying to cover a case that was down in Alabama. And we did record episodes, but I'm pretty, those never released, right? I have not heard them, no. Okay, now that we're going to talk about it. The reason I did not release these episodes is because there was a podcaster who did a pretty phenomenal job covering part of uh, the case that we were working on. And I was trying to get in touch with them because I wanted to, they had some interview um, clips. And so every once in a while, I run across a podcast that just seems like it's abandoned. Does that make sense? Yeah, it just um, goes poof. Yeah, yeah. Like, so like two years ago, this one just stopped updating. But I saw where a production company had been messing with that case to do something on one of the true crime shows. Uh, true crime. Documentary. Yeah, like a documentary or a series or something. So my thinking had been, I'm not going to cover this case right now with what we've done with it. We'll come back to it. And I sort of put the recordings to the side and I may redo them. I, I had this period of time where that case was going on. 
I was talking to a victim's family in another case that we're going to cover a little later. I sort of got sidetracked because we had this this morning, this Sunday morning, where my I got a new puppy, and my wife got bit by the new puppy, and it like created a lot of blood, and like there was a lot of trauma in my house. I didn't realize it was going to happen. It wasn't like nobody got hurt from it all. It just was. It created one of those moments in your life where you're looking at the people around you and you go, I don't know what just happened. And there was so much chaos that I missed something. And it was right in the middle of us covering this case um, that I was saying, I'll probably put in the feed later. This is what I missed. Um, And now this is going to, so this is March of this year, basically that I'm talking about. We were doing this Um, because we record things out of order. and, And like you and I put together lots of episodes at one time. Sometimes we record three or four episodes in a row. And then I I'll, put them on the shelf and sometimes we record them and I literally put them in the feed minutes later. What's interesting is I was looking for a body um, in, in that case. That is the case of Carrie Lawson. And I don't want to discuss her case yet because of the way we may cover that. But when I do that, I get into this mode where I sort of hit NamUs, I hit Charlie Project, I start hitting the local newspapers and um, criminal records in the area for unresolved matters. And I start just making a pile to say, I wonder if we could find her body, like if she's an unidentified body in another town or something like that. That's really interesting because I remember this happening different, but go ahead. You remember this happening different because you're not me. So, <laughs> um, But I don't know which one's right. Oh, okay. Well, probably neither. It doesn't um, really matter. I was just it's just funny to me how like we experience something, we both experience what ultimately is the same thing, but we both remember it completely different. What ends up happening here is you also created a list. And I think that you were uh sort of looking alongside me. Uh, I think you were looking for Carrie Lawson. Well, Nero, I can tell you what I was doing. Um, I was actually, uh, I looked at the list on uh, about April the 2nd of 2022. That Now that's just around then. And it was literally the very first body that was the most recent that had been entered. I think the context is missing here. But you, so the first <laughs> like, body, uh, like what list did you look at? Like I literally just said, share me the unidentified bodies, right? And it, this body was entered into NamUs on April the 1st, okay? <sighs> and because I was looking at it on April the 2nd, like that body was, if not the first, one of the very first. I just looked at it chronologically. I do that sometimes. So people don't know what we're talking about yet. Um, but what do you mean? This, so do you understand what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying, but they don't know what we're referencing here. Because this is one of those situations where I said, how many people can this possibly be? And I pick somebody. Yeah. Meg ends up. So she's looking for Carrie Lawson and decides that, like, there's another rabbit hole that's more interesting. She makes a match in NamUs. Well, I don't know that I was actually looking for Carrie Lawson. I was just looking for somebody interesting to try and identify. In the course of her doing that, in, in that crazy morning I was talking about where I end up like... Oh, that was April take, 3rd. What was? 
When she got bit. Right. So what I'm saying is you sent this to me that weekend and this got lost. Oh, well, I, so to me, I sent it to you and you gave me a really good reason why I was wrong. Right. And that's, that's sort of where we're headed with this. So I looked at it, but I didn't look a lot further, mainly because of the chaos there. What I found, okay, this person, um, was a, a Namus case. Uh, do you have it's the number sitting in front of you? It's still a Namus case. I'm I know, not, but I'll tell you. Hold it, on. If you type in one three two five five, you gave me a different one, and I need that one for a second. Oh, okay. Hold on one second. Um, I might be able to search it up here. Um, I don't have my. I have a different phone for, at the moment. Just give me a second. One three two five five. Yeah. That's the number. What's the number that was next to it? Uh, for what? Oh, the... You, you sent me two numbers. Oh, uh, the UP? Yeah. Uh, the U... Yeah, UP. Oh, hold on. I'm sorry. Okay, it's 90197. It's UP 90197. Okay. So, Meg goes into NamUs and... She pulls out a March 28th, 2022 case from Bessemer, Alabama. And she tells me that she knows who it is. Um, so I go looking for the person she thinks it is. And I find a reasonable, I found a, I think it was reasonable. Yeah, reason. she looks like her. <laughs> yeah, I found a person who looks just like her online with a slightly different name. And I basically said, I think this person is alive. And then well, that was it for me. <laughs> yeah. So Meg stops looking at it. But the reason I'm telling people about it today, first of all, it's an Alabama case um, that we're talking about. When we had been talking about Carrie Lawson, this case came up, but it's, it's a completely different thing. Um, it wasn't related to Carrie Lawson. I was just looking to see if they had recently found Carrie Lawson's body. And instead, Meg says... This body from March 28th, 2022, which is in NamUs, if you look in there, it's UP90197. Look quickly, though. Yeah, look quickly because it won't be there for a moment. This is a match. It will disappear um, in the next couple of days. She sends me a text message, and it literally just says UP and that number, and then it says is MP13255. Well, that other case was entered into NamUs a very long time ago. It was actually created in December December 15, 2011, from a case that was 10 years earlier. And that case was out of California. So this is a body found in Bessemer, Alabama, that has a date of last contact from September 1st, 2001, and an investigative contact in Napa, California. So when that happens, I don't like to look at those cases. What happened here was there were 10 facial uh, case IDs, which means it is a full facial picture from the time of this person. Um, and I, I'll get to why I'm babbling about all of this in a minute. I found lots of interesting information from these cases. But this was a 40-year-old woman whose name was Janet Jones Luxford, who also had gone by Janet Williams, who was five feet two inches tall and weighed 110 pounds. She disappeared 
uh, during unknown circumstances, September 1st, 2001. And on September 22nd, 2002, her daughter called the Napa Police Department, which is her local police department, to report her missing. She stated that in September 2001, that the missing person here, who is Janet Luxford, had left her residence in Jacksonville, Florida, at 3638 Ernest Street. And she was later seen at a motel in Bessemer, Alabama, but she had not been seen or heard from since then. Stated that she had uh, blonde hair and blue eyes. So they started investigating the case. And the only note they leave in here for us is she was last seen leaving with an unknown trucker. So Meg decided, just based on this incoming report about the unidentified person, um, whose skeletal remains were located in the woods by, it says a citizen. But what I think happened here is like the killer led them to the body on March the 28th, 2022. And they entered it as an unknown body the day before Meg found it on April 1st, 2022. Uh, they could not estimate her weight. They believe she was a white female between the ages of 18 and 99, which is like just the general range they throw in for, I don't know, but they did think she was an adult. Um, and her estimated PMI, uh, was 20 years ago. She was estimated to be between five feet tall and five feet, three inches tall. Well, what is really interesting about all of this. And the only reason I'm really telling you about it is a fascinating little blurb appeared in a South Carolina newspaper. Um, where I picked it up was a retelling of the uh, newspaper uh, where they say it on TV, and that was on WVTM 13. And here's all it says. It says, South Carolina man confesses to killing woman in 2001. Bessemer, Alabama. Police in Bessemer, Alabama said a South Carolina man recently confessed to killing a woman more than 20 years ago. On March 27th, Bessemer police said Brian Jones reported a murder he allegedly committed in 2001. Police said Jones led them to an area of Harmer Street and Valley Creek where they discovered skeletal remains. The Jefferson County Coroner's Office was contacted and recovered the remains. Jones gave the deceased name as then 41-year-old Janet Luxford, a.k.a. Janet Jones, as his then-current girlfriend. Detectives confirmed that Janet Luxford was listed as missing and endangered from Napa, California in 2002. Detectives would later discover that Luxford was listed missing by a daughter in September 2002 after not seeing her mother in a long while. Police said Jones reported killing the woman following a fight in a hotel on 9th Avenue Southwest in Bessemer. Allegedly, Jones claims that her death was accidental. Although the remains found have not been officially identified, Jones is being charged with the death of Janet Luxford. The Jefferson County Coroner's Office is actively searching for medical records and using DNA to help identify the remains, but this process could take as long as nine months. Jones is charged with murder and abuse of a corpse. His, he is being held in the Jefferson County Jail on a $765,000 bond. So you called that right out the gate with it just being popped into NamUs because we were looking for Carrie Lawson. And I didn't give you any credit for that when it happened. I really thought that she was probably still alive and estranged from her family. 
Right. So you found a picture of a woman that, to me, matched the pictures enough to say she's not missing. Yeah, it was nose, teeth, eyes, all matched, and it looked like an older version of that woman. It does, and that's amazing to me because clearly um, now, I mean, this could It's like a woman online playing with her dog, so I was... Yeah, okay, so in theory... (laughs) This, this could still not be a match because they could come back and say, no, this is not her because she does now, have children. Well, and um, right. So there's DNA, but um, so she wasn't killed by a stranger. This guy that confessed, um, he was her boyfriend, right? Um, and the reason that he waited so long to come forward, did you see that? Why? He, well, he didn't want to, um, quote, let his parents down, end quote. <laughs> and either both of them or the last surviving one died last year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I totally called this. And, you know, I actually do that quite a bit. And this has actually made me rethink, like, why I don't push it harder because, Man, I find just about everybody, I'm telling you. It's not hard. He he stuck her in a suitcase, and then he put the suitcase in the woods. He took a bus from South Carolina back to the Birmingham. uh, He had taken a bus uh, 20 years later from South Carolina to the Birmingham area, and he decided he had to confess, and he sat outside of the police station until he finally got up the nerve to call and tell them that she would be in the suitcase. And he, he took them to where... Um, she was. It's so interesting that he was waiting for the, her parents to die. He, no, the his that, parents. He was waiting for his parents to die. That's so interesting to me. So she, she had met him as a truck driver. And what happened here was that they get into a fight. He says that Luxury wanted money to go back to California to see her parents. But during the fight, he ends up hitting her with a golf club and killing her. Right. And so it was just, uh, it was, he snapped. I mean, that's what happened. I don't know what they were fighting about, but. I, I mean, just saying that's what, that's what he comes up with. And the way that this went down, I don't think there's going to be a lot of bullshit here, but this is one of the most fascinating one-off murders because this guy, it just ate at him for 20 years. Uh, This woman had three small children at the time, under the age of 15, I think. Uh, I don't know how small we would consider small, but one of them was 10 or 11 years old. Okay, and this guy got away with it, and her body has never been recovered until he led them to it. It's fascinating, isn't it? So, you know, it's... It definitely took a turn. I mean, now well, I don't think it's going to be a situation where he's killed anybody else. I don't. I feel like he probably really regretted it. Um, that was my next question to you. I was going to ask, like, do you think there's any way he killed anyone else? Because my gut says no freaking way. Um, it is highly unlikely, in my opinion, and based on I've never seen a case like this actually. But based on because normally they get caught. Right, they don't. Turn yeah, this would be. A, this is basically like a domestic violence homicide on the road. So. Well, right, and so, um, you know, I've never seen anything like this, but for the most part, um, him going in and confessing and bringing himself, like, because he's going to go to jail for the rest of his life now, and um, because he killed this woman and concealed it for so long, but 
uh, he's not the, he's the type of person that's not a killer. He just snapped and he became one like momentarily. Yeah. Well, uh, this case is going to play out in court in some way. I do hope that that is her and they identify her body, but I am going to come back (laughs) and do an update if it is not her. I'm telling you that right now. Well, I don't see how he could have identified, I mean, could have. I hope they identify her body. No, but I can't see how, like, he found somebody, (laughs) right? He led them to somebody's body. Well, I'm saying it's definitely, I mean. He thinks it was her. it looks like it's all wrapped up. Yeah. (laughs) He definitely thinks it was a woman named Janet Jones, because that's who he told him it was. Well, and um, I was. I was so sure you had found her alive. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I missed that. And I just dropped it. Cause that's actually a little bit embarrassing for me. <laughs> oh, but oh, no, what, right. For somebody to be found alive. Uh, no, no, yeah. It's embarrassing for me to make a match. And then you show me the person alive. Cause oh, I'm I not doing it. that. Oh, but I'm not doing I that. I don't to... feel like you're doing it to embarrass me. I'm just saying like, the circumstances are embarrassing. No, I know. I mean, you should tell me that you found somebody. I, I would just tell you. I mean, I just I do a cursory like image search for them. Well, so do if- I, and that's why it was weird that I didn't find that. I mean, I I well, look immediately, and you know, so many people that are missing or even passed on, they still look alive in some of the random like just uh, you know name and address type yeah. databases. They still look like the person. Well, I have an Israel Keys like list person. I won't call them a victim because I don't think they're dead. But I've almost convinced myself that they're alive as many times as as I've convinced myself that they're dead. And this would have been the um, the Tupper Lake robbery victim. I have gone back to this person so many times that I make myself crazy. Sometimes, like, I'm just looking for, like, I have them, I have all their aliases, I have all their particulars. I even know this person's social security number at this point. I just want to sign that after a particular day at a particular time, like, that they were doing some, either one thing or another thing, it could be either way, that, like, they are walking around living and breathing. The truth is, I think they had a whole name change and a bunch of stuff going on. And they just happened to coincide with this time frame. I've talked about them on the podcast before, but I'm not going to mention them again here because I want to say that one of the most interesting elements of this is that they were one gender and are completely living as another gender without like, like it's like the turn of a switch. It's basically like on a day in April of what year was that? 2009. I don't yeah, remember off the top. It's 2009, April it, of 2009. The, yeah, there was this one missing persons case that like doesn't really make a lot of sense because it's on the West Coast, although the person's on the East Coast. The missing persons report is on the East Coast. They were from the East Coast, but they should have been on the West Coast. Turn the key, and that person no longer exists anywhere. And I think that, I think that is... Accredited. I think that's a reason why the person isn't a victim of Israel Keys because of all those other things. Well, I, again, it is an absolutely fascinating case that like, if they're alive, I have 
no business going down that path with all the information I have at this point. If they're not alive, I feel like I have a duty to figure out where they are. It's so well, weird. I did the um I did the math on the like considering all that stuff with that and I couldn't make the rental car miles work for what would have had to have happened there. Yeah. So that's where we find ourselves. Uh, we will be talking to a victim's family next week, and we'll have lots of trigger warnings on that episode. But uh, actually, it might be episodes. There might be two of them. But we do hope you'll join us for uh, a pretty interesting look at a very cold case. Thank you for joining us. We are sponsored by LabratiCreations.com. You can check them out at LabratiCreations.com and you can still use the code CRIMEXS for a fun pop pet portrait of your own pet. You can also reach us on Twitter, Instagram at TrueCrimeXS or you can give us a call if you know anything about any of the cases that we're talking about at 252-365-5593. You can also reach us at Gmail at truecrimexs at gmail.com. And you can check out our website at www.truecrimexs.com. We'll see you next time.